Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Give them a high five. Tell them you love them. You guys look great. I love the energy in this place. Now, how many love the presence of Jesus? Love the presence, man, of Jesus. And you guys look good, too. Uh, in, a, in a few minutes, I'm just going to talk just for a little bit. And um, I love to talk a lot um, when I have the mic. But uh, I'm going to share just a few thoughts with you this evening. And then after that, we're going to have a special time in the presence of God. We're going to go back into some worship, and uh, we're going to pray. I think some of you, you might be here tonight um, in need of healing, and we're going to pray for healing for you this evening. Uh, good Man, I don't know what it is about Good Friday, but Good Friday is really good. And I just, this is probably my favorite service of the whole year, and I really believe that God's going to, I can't think of anything right now. Rock your socks off. Knock, that's it, that's it, that's it. Knock your socks off. Um, but we're going to have some communion. Before I do that, uh, I want to read out of John chapter 19, just, just a few verses. We read it at the beginning of this worship experience. Verse 1, chapter 19. Um, John, before I actually read this, John's gospel, if you don't know, is all about a fresh act of God. John is telling us, that um, Jesus is the Word in his prologue. He's the beginning of new creation. So John's gospel is all about a fresh act of new creation uh, within this world. And so his book is organized around seven signs. And we come to John chapter 19, after he's fleshed out light and darkness and seed time and harvest, we come to the sixth day. Everyone say the sixth day. So here at the sixth day, John is going to give us a glimpse of who God is. And my goal tonight is just to tell you just a little bit about who Jesus is and uh, how we can respond to that. Are you ready? So he gives us a glimpse of who Jesus is, uh, but essentially what John is offering, and he's telling us Jesus is offering. Jesus is not offering uh, a new religion. He's not offering like a new, a new way of being human. Uh, he's not offering um, like a new set of or an alternative way of, of, of politics or politicking. Uh, Jesus is not offering us how to like, okay, this is how you behave uh, or fresh way of, of behavior. What Jesus is offering is a new world. Something, everyone say deep. Something deep is happening to the cosmos itself. And the centerpiece of that happening to the cosmos is found in Jesus. So we come to verse 1 of chapter 19. John writes, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hell, king of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. Skip down to verse 14. That was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. Everyone say the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold the man. 
your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes as we pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence here. Lord, we, we declare that you have the final word. We thank you that there's healing tonight because of what you accomplished on the cross. Lord, we thank you for this really good Friday. Help us, Holy Spirit, in the next just 15, 20 minutes to hear what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Um, it's funny because I'm going be to talk a little bit about violence tonight. Uh, and my, the, the irony is my son was, uh, Quincy was up on the front row. And uh, as he was worshiping, he's worshiping with a sword. So I thought that was kind of ironic. But I have a story about um, Quincy. And he's not here. It's a good story. Everyone say Quincy. Quincy, I love him. He's, he's honestly, he is such a good, good boy. Uh, but he had one day, he was telling me he had some problems at school. So uh, I was in my car. I was driving in um, our car. We were uh, going to the gym, and Quincy was in the back, and he was telling me about just kind of the last week and how he was struggling. Like one of his friends, we'll, we're not going to name him, we'll call him, we'll, well, actually, we'll call him Smith. Everyone say Smith, okay? So Smith uh, uh, is not um, being nice to Quincy. So Quincy's telling me about some of the, like, the mean things he's saying and and doing, and so we're in the car, and so I just felt like the Holy Spirit moved me to, you know, I'm driving, so I can't turn around and have, you know, an in-depth conversation, but I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask Quincy to pray, and we've been talking about this, to pray for his friend who's slowly turning into an enemy. So, um, I, I, man, I, I knew God spoke to me uh, that Q needed to pray for his friend, and so Q agreed. So Q's in the back, he's behind me, and uh, he uh, starts his prayer uh, like many angry psalmists did a couple thousand years ago. And this is what he, he said. He goes, God, God, I just need you to deal with him. <laughs> I'm not joking. God, I, 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 I need you, and these are his words, I need you to address this situation <laughs> with so-and-so. Right, it's worse. It gets worse. I'm at this point, like I'm, 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 I'm trying not to laugh. I'm like, God, I don't know if this is a good idea. Uh, this is a prayer of imprecation. Like this is a cursing prayer, right? Is it Psalm 114 when the psalmist, out of anger, says, "Man, destroy my enemies." This is kind of what Quincy was kind of. That was his trajectory, uh, and then he goes into God. I, I just need you to um, teach so and so a lesson. And then he stopped, and I could tell my sons, he's thinking, of, he's thinking about something. And he takes maybe a good 20, 25 seconds as he's thinking about what he wants to say next. And then he comes out. This is the denouement of his prayer. He goes, God, um, I remember when so-and-so um, last week fell on his hip, and he got hurt, and uh, it taught him a lesson. God, I just asked that you would kind of do something like that to him this week. God, make him fall on his hip. Amen. (laughs) 
Thankfully, I walked him through that prayer. We prayed the prayer of salvation for the 30th time again. And uh, he prayed after that. He prayed a very sweet prayer of, of forgiveness and love. And I remember thinking about this. This, okay, we got to be honest. This is at the bottom, this desire to curse our enemies is at the bottom of corruption. If you were to take what's wrong with our world and strip it down to its roots, you would find this desire to curse your enemies. I'm thinking about this thought last few weeks, and I, I just kind of—I've come to the conclusion: you can't. You're wrong if you're going to try to out-argue me in this. I believe that love, love, cannot be love if love does not love its enemies. In fact, you—you you slip into some superficial stuff, a parody of love. If your love does not include loving your enemies. Jesus, I mean, he, he's pretty honest. He's like, guys, I mean, it's, it's easy to love like your team. It's easy sometimes to love your kids. Not always, right? It's easy to love those who bless you. Come on, that's easy stuff. Man, if you can't love people that love you, then you really have a problem in the words of Jesus. Jesus made it very clear, man, if you can't love your enemies, then you don't know the first thing about love. So we come to this story in John chapter 19, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. As I mentioned before, John is telling us Jesus is not offering a new religion. He's offering not just a new way of being human. He's offering a brand new world. And so Jesus is being flogged. He, uh, he's being whipped. They're doing street theater. I want, you, I want you to feel the shock of this. Our Lord and Savior is willingly putting himself in a vulnerable situation where people can say whatever they want to say. So Roman soldiers, they, they perfected the art of street theater where they would lampoon Criminals and kings before they crucified him. So they're, kind of, they're mocking uh, King Jesus. Uh, the chief priests, they're uh, accusing Jesus of sedition, essentially. Uh, Jesus, what he does is, is utterly remarkable. What he does is he doesn't do anything. I want you to feel this. Jesus does not respond to the lampoon and the mockery and the flogging. In fact, they take a crown of thorns. If you don't know this, excruciating. Everyone say excruciating. Comes from a Latin word meaning from the cross. So the worst kind of pain you could ever feel is crucif crucifixion. In fact, Ro Rome perfected the art of bringing you as close to death as possible and stringing that out, and they called that crucifixion. So Jesus He's not yet crucified, but he's experiencing this torture. They take a crown of, of thorns and probably a thorn about this size and dig it into his skull. So he's dehydrated. He's probably confused. He's, he's experiencing concussion symptoms, and he doesn't say anything. Pilate is like, okay, say something. 
right? Everyone's saying this about you. Why aren't you saying anything? And Jesus does not say a word. He becomes vulnerable. And then in verse 5, as we read, John tells us, with a robe on his back, with crown of thorns in his head, Pilate announces to the crowd, behold, everyone say behold. That's a big word, and we'll talk about that. Behold the man. Everyone say the man. Come on, everyone say the man. Come on, say it with a little growl. The man. Here is the man. What is John saying? This is the sixth day. This is the Jewish Passover. John is saying, just like in original creation, you find in Genesis, on the sixth day, God created two royal image bearers, Adam and Eve. Creation, what their, their way of seeing or picturing God would come through these two image bearers. In fact, image bearing had the responsibility of reflecting who, the, who, who God, who the creator was. Now we have on this sixth day, everyone say the sixth day. On this sixth day, we have the true image bearer. We have the true image, the Son of God, who shows us who God is really like. God vulnerable, God not responding to the accusations. In, in fact, we find in uh, Luke chapter 23 that Jesus on the cross, he turns essentially to the whole crowd, and they're mocking him, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That's so powerful because, I, I'm going to be really honest, I think if our enemies crucified us, I just know what's in my heart, and I know what's in your heart because I read your Facebook Lord have mercy. Some of you just need to delete it. Can I get an amen? And just be quiet, right? I just know what's in our heart. If our enemies put us on a cross, crucified us, I, I'm pretty sure the last thing we'd be doing is forgiving and blessing. I think we might do a little blankety-blanking. little fire from heaven, right? Pouring down scorn on our enemies. Jesus on the cross takes the full weight of evil itself. The full weight in his love absorbs it without essentially saying a word of condemnation. This Good Friday picture of the man, everyone say the man shows us a different portrait of who God really is. It puts to the lie the tragic misconception that so many people have in their heads that God is remote, he's inaccessible, he's indifferent, God doesn't care, he, he, he's not compassionate, God's not loving, God's some faceless thing in the sky that really can't connect with me. No, when we see this picture of the man who has thorns in his skull, about ready to be crucified, we see the true picture of who God is. This is startling. I feel like I'm being really dramatic here tonight, but just go with me, okay? 
this is startling, right? This is startling because um, there was, for 200 years, all the way up to the time of Jesus, there was um, this tradition that God's people had when it came to martyrdom. Martyrs, you can find this in 2 Maccabees, I think chapter 7, don't quote me on that, where we have someone who's about ready to be executed, martyred for his faith. He looks to the executioner, and he says, God, one day will come after my death, and I will go through death into resurrection and life. But just rest assured that God will come, and he will torture not just you, but your descendants. This one for 200 years, there was a tradition of martyrdom where you would not call down blessing, you would call down fire, you would call down torture, you would call down death. Jesus goes against the grain of this tradition. Jesus on the cross, rather than condemning and cursing his enemies, he absorbs the full weight, the full power. He draws it out. And he bears it in his body, the full weight of evil. I want to get to really quick um, our response to this, because I just have a few minutes more. But uh, before I do that, this is Good Friday. We read in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 14, the beginning of our, our service here tonight. Uh, right out of Mark chapter 14, we have the Last Supper. Jesus, he's with his, this motley crew. Everyone say motley crew. You got, man, you got Peter. How many love Peter? Love Peter. He just, he's a cusser, okay? And all the cussers said amen. That's a joke. <laughs> Somebody like, beep, yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. We have, we have John the Beloved. We have, we have some zealots. We have guys with swords. We have a tax collector. So you have this motley crew this motley crew of people. What's fascinating with me, uh, and I just had this simple revelation that in the public ministry of Jesus, you see for two and a half, almost three years, what is Jesus doing? It goes against the caricature of how people see Jesus and Christianity. People think that Christianity is about like prohibition. Like it's, it's about God raining down on our like fun parade. God is somehow like a cosmic killjoy. But when you actually read your Bible, what you see Jesus doing, man, he just loves the party. He likes to get a meal. Anthropologists call this table fellowship. Everyone say table fellowship. And so he's going around in this first century world, and he's gathering all the wrong people, right? And he's bringing them around a meal. How many of you like to eat? Please say amen to that. We love to eat. How many of you love barbecue, right? Bacon. Like, man, this, I, we, we love to eat, all right? Any vegans in the house? I'm not going to make fun of you. Okay. Yes, I love it. You love, you, you love broccoli. You love beets. I actually love beets. Okay, so we love to eat. We're designed by God. We're wired biologically, obviously, to eat. There's something about having a meal with some of your closest friends, right? There's something about a party. All the youths said amen to that. Right? We like to celebrate. We like to have fun. We like to eat. It's funny. Um, usually what happens with us on... Uh, on Easter, like after our Easter services, we'll go to a restaurant, uh, my family and I, and we'll just, we'll shoot the breeze, right? We'll talk about how the Easter went, um, uh, how, the, you know, the Easter egg hunt went. Um, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, we'll just got to shoot the breeze. We'll, we'll talk about the food, if we like it or not. I mean, we're really positive. Um, we'll talk about philosophy sometimes, and we'll just talk about life itself. I just, 
I, I love spending time with my family, but when we're done talking and we, we go home, uh, we, you know, we just, just kind of treat the meal as just, oh, just a good family time. Well, in this ancient setting, a meal was more than just having, like, um, conversation and eating some good grub. Uh, in this ancient setting, uh, having a meal with someone was a public demonstration uh, without the picketing, right? It was a public act. It was a way of mapping out the world. In other words, it was all about uh, a social arrangement that designated who was in and who was out. Essentially, whoever you ate with was a declaration, a social, political, theological declaration that that person you're eating with belongs to your group. So Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God, and he's, he's mixing it up with all the wrong people. Luke chapter 8. Um, he, it's funny. I love his, like, his little group of, of people that are following him. You have Mary Magdalene, who uh, Luke tells us had seven. Everyone say seven. Seven demons with her. So she's about as unclean as they come in this, in this Jewish symbolic world. Uh, you also had, um, I think it's jo Joanna, the, the wife of Cusa. Uh, who was uh, Herod's manager. Uh, in this ancient setting, they would have seen her as a colluder with this client king. And then we have Susanna. We, we don't know much about Susanna, but she's a woman. The point is you have three women that really are all over the social map. Uh, and in this world, they would have been seen as outsiders, unclean, unworthy. And Jesus is inviting them to the table. So meals functioned in the kingdom of God as a radical welcome to all those who want to reorganize their lives around Jesus. In fact, Jesus, who does Jesus heal? He heals the sick people. Why does Jesus heal the sick people? This is going to be profound. It's because Jesus loves the sick people. But it's more than that. Not only does Jesus love the sick people... All the sick people in the symbolic purity world of Jesus' day would have been considered half-members of God's family. They would have been excluded, we know, in the community in, in Qumran, which my wife went to um, a couple weeks ago in Israel. They have a, um, a section of thought that says that any Jew that's maimed is only a half-member, does not have full membership, cannot be a part of God's community. So when we see that Jesus is organizing meals with all the wrong people, it's not that Jesus just likes to party. It's not that Jesus just is like a social reformer that just wants to accept people, and of course he wants to accept people. What Jesus is doing is he's reorganizing all the wrong people around himself, which leads us to this, this second point. The meals function more than just a mapping of who was in and who was out. The meals were messianic. The meals, in other words, celebrated the arrival of the king. Messianic banquet throughout the Old Testament would happen at the end of the age. And at this messianic banquet, it's, this is the place or this is a setting where God would set the world to rights. When God would make all things new, defeat evil itself, and would heal creation in a fresh way. So what Jesus is doing is not just 
tolerating people. Jesus, by having these meals with all the wrong people, a motley group of people, is saying that the kingdom of God has arrived and evil will soon be defeated. So we come back to Mark chapter 14. Jesus is having a meal right before Passover. And John wants us to get that. It's Passover. Everyone say Passover. Passover is about liberation. Passover implies that God's people are enslaved. Passover, here we have Jesus as he's talking to his disciples, is is essentially saying there's still a dark power in you. And uh, you can't, no matter how smart you guys are, no matter how um, morally strong you are, you cannot set yourself free from evil and wickedness and violence and corruption. Only I can do that for you. So he breaks the bread as the new Moses. And then he takes the the grape juice and he offers it to his disciples and says, guys, I am going to give my life for you because you can't break what's broken in you. My body has to be broken in order to heal the brokenness in this world. And I I love this story and I love this meal and this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples because it just makes it very clear that Jesus is not your ordinary leader. Like, think about it. When, and there's nothing wrong if you're a general here, when was the last time a general went to the front lines to fight for his troops? When was the last time a terrorist um, decided to strap on, like a lead terrorist, strap on a bomb on his own body and give his life for his people rather than putting bombs on little children. Here we have a beautiful picture of Jesus saying, I'm going to do this for you. Can I get an amen to that? I'm gonna do what you can't do. I'm gonna heal you. I'm gonna break what's, what's, what's um, been over you your entire life. I'm gonna invade the darkness of your heart and set you free through my death. This is, this is just a radical portrait of God, a loving God who gave his life for us. And this is why we can pray for healing tonight. This is why we can believe that all things are possible because God's not remote. He's not far away but he's present. He went to the cross and he stood in for us as a suffering servant and absorbed our pain, our shame, our disease, our soul sickness, our heart sickness. So how do we, how do we respond to this? John tells us to do one thing. He says, behold. Everyone say, behold. Say it one more time. Actually, say it one more time. Behold. Behold comes from like an old English word, meaning to hold on to. Everyone say, hold on to. 
Like, there have been times when we've been in crowds where, like, kids are just, like, running all over the place, and there's just a lot of people, and I have to make a concerted effort to grab a hold of them or I'm going to lose them. And all the parents said amen to that, yeah? That's kind of the idea. you got to hold on. As you hold on to your kids, you got to hold on to this picture of Jesus. you got to see this. you got to consider it. you got to, everyone say no. It's funny, like, when, when we talk about knowledge or knowing someone, there's two kinds of knowledge, um, or at least in, in terms of knowing people. Uh, you, you can know people, like, um, in a superficial way. You know their names. Uh, maybe you spent some, maybe a few minutes talking to them, and every now and then you see them in the city, and uh, you say, oh, I, I know them. Hello, so-and-so. It's great to, to know you or great to see you. That's one form of knowing. The other form of knowing is having a family, and you spend your life together, and you know um, in, in an intimate way uh, how your family thinks and acts. Behold is like this second thing, the second form of knowing. Behold is to let your mind sink into this truth that God is not violent. God is not a, a faceless bureaucrat that's carving up the world who doesn't care about us. Your God, my God, sits on the throne and he loves us in a way we can't even imagine. One poet wrote this. He said this about the love of God. When God loves, he loves to the very end. And not only to their own end, talking about his people, not only to their death, but he loves to his end. His end is that he might love them still. God's love, in other words, he's being, he's being a little bit sarcastic God loves to his own end. Does God have an end? God, in other words, just he, he has a bad case of loving you every single day. He can't stop. Like there's no end, right? Psalm 33 captures this a little bit. He goes, the love of God, this, the poet writes, is oceanic. There's a depth. There's, there's a scope. There's, there's, there's a limitlessness to the love of God. This is how much God loves us. And we're called to behold this image tonight. The image of the creator God. The image of the one who built the cosmos, stretched out the horizons. He created wells and walruses and Walmart. Oops, no, he didn't create Walmart, all right? created the raw materials that we find in this world, created brains and bodies, cosmos and creation. This God we see fleshed out on the cross. Behold, John tells us in the words of Pilate, your king who loves you. So the first thing we got to do, we got to build our lives on this image. Am I being too dramatic? Okay, I kind of feel like I'm being too dramatic here, but I love Good Friday, all right? Should I do a little dance or something? Uh, son, no, I will not do that. God, this, we got to take this image, and we got to build our lives on it. We, we, if, if you can't first 
see that this is God and how he relates to you. It's no wonder you can't love your spouse or your kids or your neighbor or your, those people in your city or your enemy. I think the reason, and I'm going to be really honest, the church has a problem with love. Just like the religious leaders. Verse 5, Pilate takes Jesus out to the crowds and says, Behold, the man. And then the religious leaders kind of whip up the crowd's emotions and they say, No, crucify him. Crucify him. I think if we're not careful, we can collude with the spirit of this age where we project our, our own violence and corruption onto God, and we call that God. And so anything that isn't fit within that mold or that template of God, it's not violent enough. God, you need to take care of my enemies. You need to take care of Joe. Because he wakes up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and he wakes my kids up. God, how about you do something to Joe? Right? Anything that does not fall under that kind of violent corrupt template of our vision of God, we don't want to have anything to do with it. And if we're not careful, if we don't behold this image of God, the God who embodies self-giving love and loves us when we're unlovable, loves us so much that he gives us authentic freedom and gives us the ability to resist him, if we don't build our lives on this, there is no stinking way we can fulfill the calling of God on our lives. Let me just say this really quick. You're not called to make money. If you make money, that's great. You're not called to be successful. If you're successful, that's great. You're not called to have big cars, big houses, big budgets. Can I get an amen to that? If you have that, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not your primary calling if you're serious about following Jesus. We're called to be big when it comes to loving people. My frustration now, and you've been, I, I'm sure you feel it over the last probably year and a half in some of my preaching. It's a holy frustration. Everyone say holy. I can say it because I love the church. I'm not just talking about our church, but just church in the western world I love the church but my frustration is that we've adopted this laissez-faire attitude with the world in fact Martin Luther King Jr. Um, probably 50 years ago he wrote um, in, one of, in one of his letters he goes his greatest frustration is that if we're not if we're not careful or if we're not wise we will slip into this do nothing complacency we just got to sit and we kind of do nothing. We've got to sit on the sidelines and we choose not to love. Not just our family, not just our neighbor, but, but the people in our city. My frustration is that we've kind of just adopted this, this complacent attitude, and I'm talking even about myself, about the people in our world who God wants to reach through us. And then we put, we, we, and I'm going to be honest, we, we assign global labels on people. That person's a, a racist. That person is a Democrat. That person is a Republican, right? That person is this, 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 and this. And we allow these labels to shape or at least influence 
how we will love that particular individual. Well, you, you know, that person, ah, they gave me the look, so I'm going to give them the look back. The weird look, right? Like the look that they don't like you, right? It's funny how if, if we're not careful as Christians, we kind of, we, we, I don't know, we climb down to the level of dysfunction of other people when God has called us to pull people out through our love, out of their dysfunction, out of their pain, out of their hurt, out of their sorrow. Like some of you might be thinking, oh, Chris, I don't know about loving people because there are a lot of bad folk out there. You better be careful. Let me just say this as a response. I think we need to be wise. Can I get an amen to that? I think we need to speak the truth in love. What, but when we do that, we can't let the sun set on our anger, right? Or on our speaking the truth. I think that's really important. So we need to be wise. We need to speak the truth in love. But uh, I, I'm not about being careful anymore. I'm, I'm more focused on caring for people. I'm not about being careful and safe and okay, uh, you know what, I'm just, I don't know, that person looks like they probably aren't gonna, I, I kind of feel like you're talking to me, God, this is a Monday, this is a hypothetical situation, right? I see this person, I don't know if, if they're gonna respond to what I feel like you want me to share with them, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna leave them be, right? That's not love. Love is not careful, love is caring. Love, if it just kind of sits back and does nothing, is not love. You know what that is? That's indifference. God's not called us to be indifferent. God's not called us to like just simply maintain the status safe quo. God's not called us just to sit in this beautiful sanctuary and um, sing some really nice songs, but Monday through Saturday not reflect the love of God back into our city. I don't know about you, but I feel on fire tonight. I, in a way, I, if I could thunder, I would thunder, but I can't, okay? But I feel like there's a thunder in my soul. I felt it when I was just reading uh, John 19 today. Martin Luther King, he said this a long time ago, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity forfeit the loyalty of millions and uh, be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. The church is called not to be a thermometer where we gauge where people are at and then we try to serve their needs. The church is called to be a thermostat where through our love we set the world ablaze with love and more love and more caring. I, when, when you see this picture of God on the cross, thorns in his head, being mocked, forgiving his enemies, blessing those who have crucified him, it's just hard not to care for people. I want us to feel this. If, if we're more concerned about our success than for caring for people, I, I think we have a problem with seeing 
who God really is. Jesus gave up his success, gave it all up for us. This is what we're called to do in this hour, in this time. Behold, everyone say behold. Behold the image of God, the one who's not remote, the one who loves us with an everlasting love, the one who heals us in his death, the one who experienced excruciating pain for our sake. Behold that. Then take your life, restructure it around this kind of love. And then tonight we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray right now, that the Spirit of God would come into your heart and empower you with fresh love. And as you see who God is, you begin to restructure your life around who God is. God will then fill you with his Spirit to love the hell out of our world. And I wasn't cussing, I promise. There's hell in the hearts of those who do not know Jesus. And we're called to love them. So Chris, as I, as I end, I will say to our critics, we, we really don't have them. I'm just kind of making some stuff up. But anyways, if there were, I'm sure we do, if there were critics that would say, Chris, why, why do you, um, you know, Saturdays in between Good Friday and Easter, do you have an Easter egg hunt? Like, you know, you have skydiving bunnies and, you know, it's crazy. And I'm sure you guys are exhausted. And Mark Thornton just is, I'm sure he's amazing, but I don't know how he does it. Why do you guys do this? Because your whole philosophy is no strings attached. Uh, you don't get anything out of it, right? Why, why do you do this? And certainly, um, people can question our strategy, like, Chris, it needs to be more religious, or you need to be, you need to do this, and this, and this, and this, and we'll be open to um, doing things differently in the future, um, but my response to every critic first is the reason why we do this is because this is what Jesus has done for us. The reason why we love the city the way that we do is because Jesus loved us so much. But, but to the critic, I will say, I prefer my strategy of getting off the sideline and doing something for our city over the non-strategy of not loving people and criticizing what people are trying to do in terms of loving people. I would rather love people than criticize other churches and what they're doing in trying to love people. So this is, I feel it. If you want it, you can have this. The Spirit of God is here this evening. We're not going to choose a safe life. We're not going to sit in the stinking sidelines. Come on, people, that's boring. Some of you are so disillusioned with Christianity, and it's not because you're not getting good messages. It's not because you don't, we don't have a good worship experience. For some of you, it's because you're just sitting, and you're okay with living a safe life. And God is trying to pull you out of that safe life into his love and into his grace and into his power. So this year, we're not going to live carefully. We're going to live a caring life. 
and I'm talking to myself. I feel it. Like if, if none of you, you don't, if you don't like this word, that's okay. This is something that the Holy Spirit is challenging me. I, as your lead pastor, and my wife knows me, I got my flaws. Thank you, son. Wow. Son, you had a sword, okay? Enough said. I'm kidding. So I know my flaws. I know I'm not perfect. But I do feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. And this is something that I want to practice more and more. I want to practice not being careful, but being caring. Not being careful, but being caring for the people in our city. If we lose this, we lose everything. We sit on the sidelines, we lose everything. We can still have nice worship and good messages, but we have lost the soul of what it means to be a Christian if we lose loving our city. So let's step out tonight. Let's step out, let's believe. Let's let the Holy Spirit heal us. Let's let the Holy Spirit remove our uncleanness. Let's let the Holy Spirit come and fill us with his power and his spirit and his might and his anointing. Let the Holy Spirit fix you up this evening. And then I want you to believe that God will fill you with his power to go into this city this next week and into this next season and just begin to love people in creative ways and begin to believe that with God, all things are possible. All things. Not just maybe or probable, but they're all possible because we serve King Jesus. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.